We're going to look at Hebrews 12. We're going to begin in, in verse uh, 12 of chapter 12. And last week we began this study of chapter 12. This is a second part of a two-part series. And last week we looked at two points, and hopefully you have received an outline uh, that uh, we've laid out for everyone. Last week, the first two points we drew from verses 1 through 11, uh, the propulsion of endurance and the purpose for endurance, and what we said was that, first of all, the enduring Christian, the one who continues to walk uh, faithfully with the Lord, is one who is propelled by Christ and the great sacrifice Jesus made to save him or her. One of, the, one of the reasons that we come to the Lord's table is to, we, because we do so in, in remembrance of Christ. We are remembering his great sacrifice. It's important for us to keep that, to fix our eyes on Jesus, as it says in verse 2, so that we can be motivated in the Christian life. He's loved us so much. He's given so much to us. He's bought us with a price. We belong to him. And that should fuel our service and our endurance, especially when things get difficult. So that's the propulsion of endurance. That's what motivates us and makes us go on as the race gets longer. You know, the, the picture we're given here is one of a, of a long-distance race, a marathon, if you will. And I hate to run. It's painful and tiring and it's hot. And, and that's, that's a great descriptor of the Christian life. It's difficult. And the environment in which we are uh, running this race is a difficult one. As we see our society moving in a less of a Christian direction. So the first point, be propelled. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul gives us an example of how it propelled him. He, he said it was the love of Christ that compelled him or controlled him. Uh, it was what drove him in ministry, even through the difficult times. Especially through the difficult times. Jesus' great love for him was what motivated to him to, to travel all over and share the good news about Jesus Christ. So the Christian who keeps the gospel ever in his mind's eyes is the one who will endure. And then secondly, we talk about the purpose for endurance. Uh, the writer of Hebrews points us to the fact that, that our Heavenly Father uses our circumstances, treating us like sons. He's, he's helping us. Uh, to become more holy. And discipline means instruction. It means teaching. Uh, it, it means uh, also reproof. Uh, it can mean punishment even. But the Lord uses all these circumstances to help us grow in our relationship with him. Often we resist that. We resist the difficulties. We want to live comfortable lives. And sometimes... It's not in God's will that we be comfortable. He wants us to be uncomfortable so we can learn and grow and become stronger. So if we want to endure as Christians, we need to keep that in mind as we go through life, as it be becomes difficult. Don't just think that, oh, God's against me. No, maybe God is really for you. He's, he's trying to help you work through things. He's trying to help you see your sin so that you can repent. There's all manner of things that he could be doing, but what he's doing is for your own good and for you the purpose of making you more holy, more like Christ. So having that perspective in life helps you endure through the difficulties. Now today we come 
to two more points from chapter 12. We want to look at the, the practice or the picture, I think, the picture of endurance, uh, first of all, and then finally the promise of endurance. The writer has given us the motivation behind endurance and the purpose for which we must endure. Now in verses 12 through 17, he gives us some action points. What do we do to endure? What does it look like for someone to endure as a Christian? So let's look at verses 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. If you ever go to a, to a, a, a race, a a track meet, a 5K, or a marathon, uh, when, when the gun goes off and, and people start running, uh, you might cheer, go, 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 if you're there uh, cheering someone on. But once you get towards the middle or the end of the race, you might say different things like, don't give up, <laughs> keep on going, you know, catch that person that's in front of you. You're giving them encouraging words so that they won't quit or slow down or start walking, which is what I usually do when I go out for a run. What, what he's beginning here is, is similar to that. He's, he's saying, look, lift your drooping hands. You know, don't give up. Uh, make straight paths for your feet. The hands are drooping. The knees are weak. So he's exhorting the people to lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. So he's writing to people who are drooping, who are wilting under the pressure. They're weak, they're staggering, and they're ready to give up the race of the Christian life. Indeed, these particular people to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing are thinking, hey, I'm going to go back to Judaism. It's much easier because it was one of the accepted religions of the day. And there was no persecution for being Jewish. And it would be much easier than, than the difficulties of being a Christian in those days. So the writer of Hebrews says, get yourself strengthened. He's exhorting them to endurance. He's telling them to, to get on that right path and stay on it. And then he gives specifics. What can they do to endure through their trials? What is that right path, and I've broken it down into three things. First, he says to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So strive for peace and purity, because that's what he means there when he's talking about holiness. He's talking about purity of life, living out uh, a holy uh, lifestyle. These two things... Uh, these two things must hang together because you can have peace with people by sacrificing your purity. It's easy to do that. You can make people happy by going along with the crowd. But what he's saying is 
Strive for peace with everyone where it's possible. He says the same thing in Romans 12. More specifically, he says, 12, Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now do everything in your power to live peaceably with people inside the church and outside the church. But don't sacrifice holiness for that. Be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If your life is not producing the fruit of holiness, then it shows that you're not a believer and you will not see the Lord at the end if you're not producing the fruit. So, peace with everyone and holiness. Purity. Peace and purity. We're to strive for those things. That word strive is the same word that's used for persecution. You know, Christians were hunted down, pursued, dogged in those days. You think of the Apostle Paul, how he went from place to place before he was a Christian. And he was, he was seeking to put Christians to death. He pursued them. That's the same word that's used here for striving for peace. Do everything in your power to be at peace with people, to have a good relationship with people, to build bridges with people, to make a connection with people so that you can share the good news of Christ with them if they're lost so that you can encourage them if they're a brother and sister in Christ. Relationships with people are, are vitally important. And be pure. Be holy. Walk circumspectly according to God's word, according to his paths, the straight path that he's telling us to get on. So that's the first part. Strive for peace and purity. Secondly, he says, or, or I say, receive and depend upon the grace of God instead of being a bitter root. You don't want to be a bitter root. That's a, it's not a compliment to be called a bitter root. I don't know if anybody's ever called you a bitter root. But he's telling you not to be one. It's not a good thing. He's referring to Deuteronomy 29. In Deuteronomy 29, Moses is giving instruction to the, the people of God. And he says this. Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. So you see, this is a very stern warning that the writer of Hebrews is giving us. Don't fail to obtain the grace of God. God is graciously offered to forgive us our sins. He has provided a way of salvation for us in Christ. Don't miss that. There are people who go to church who look the part. They have all the trappings of religion. But they're a bitter root. They're actually not following at all. The people in Moses' day, they heard the words of the covenant, the words of that, that God has a relationship with this people. And they said, yes, I'm one of those people. And God says, no, you're not. You're not one of those people. 
because you're worshiping idols. People fooling themselves. Presumption. It's a very dangerous place to be. The people to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing were people who were ready to give up. They weren't bearing any fruit. And he's saying, don't be that person. Don't be that bitter root. It's going to cause trouble. And it, and it not only causes trouble for the person because they've missed the grace of God, but they become someone within the body that defiles the whole body. It causes trouble because there's bitterness in their lives. And people like that generally, when they go through difficulties, get mad at God because things aren't going well for them. Life's not easy. Well, God, I do all these things. I do this, do that. I go to church. And as Jesus said, I never knew you. Be sure that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Run to Jesus. Turn to him. Receive his grace and depend upon his grace for your life. So that's the second thing. Receive and depend upon the grace of God instead of being a bitter root. And then thirdly, don't sell your birthright for a single meal. Of course, this refers to Esau. Verse uh, 16, see, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. You remember the story of Esau. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was second even though they were twins. Uh, Esau had the birthright. He had, by divine right, he had certain blessings that were to come to him by being the firstborn. Double the property. Divine blessings that, come, that came to him from Abraham, Isaac, and then should have gone to Esau and so forth. But instead, you know, he was out working, hunting, doing his things. He comes in famished and he sells his birthright to his brother Jacob for a pot of stew. Not even a pot of stew, a single bowl of stew. And then, of course, Jacob sneakily goes in and, and he gets the blessing of the firstborn from his father Isaac. And when Esau comes in to get the blessing, there's no blessing to be given because it's already been given to Isaac. And, of course, Esau is weeping, but it's, but it's too late. It's too late. The blessing's already been given. He's already lost it. He threw it away. For what? For a bowl of stew. See, Esau came to that place. Verse 17 is a little tricky. I take that uh, he found no chance to repent to be parenthetical. So what it's saying is he, afterward, after he sold his birthright for a single meal, he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent. That's why he was rejected, because he could not erase the action that he took. He carelessly threw away his birthright for, a, for a, something that was very small and insignificant. He lost on divine blessings. He sought the blessing with tears. 
but he was rejected because he found no chance to repent. It doesn't mean that even that he, that he wanted to repent, and even though he was crying to repent, that's not what this is saying. If you repent truly, the Lord will forgive you. But he was crying about, and, and if you go back to Genesis, he was crying about the fact that he could not get the blessing. It had already gone. It had already been given by Isaac. What does this mean for us today? Well, don't be sexually immoral and don't be unholy like Esau. I think they're going together. Sexual immorality is something that can derail you in the Christian life. Not just that, but all kinds of unholiness. Trading a divine birthright for a single meal. People will throw away a marriage for a few moments of pleasure, forbidden pleasure. Uh, people will, will get derailed in the Christian life by making a stupid, a stupid uh, decision to go uh, enjoy sin for a moment. That brief moment, and, it's, and it ruins the whole life. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't sell your birthright for a single meal. Remember what God has given you. Remember the, all the divine blessings that are yours in Christ. Don't throw it away for, for a worldly pleasure that's fleeting. It'll only last a few moments, like Esau did. He carelessly, he didn't even think about it. He was so hungry, all he could see was that food. That was all that was real to him at that moment. He didn't care about the, the divine blessings that would come to him. He didn't care about being the firstborn at that moment. But he did later when he sought that blessing from his father and the blessing had already been given. It was too late. It was too late. Don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss out on the divine blessings. They're there for, for us. God has promised them. But if you reject it, if you treat it flippantly, if you don't take it seriously, there may come a time where it's too late. I don't want to use fear tactics here, but it's true. We're not guaranteed another moment of life. We don't know when our time will come. So we, we must be warned. But as we live the Christian life, watch for detours on the journey that look good, but will lead us into the ditch. They're out there. We have an enemy who's constantly telling us to come over here and take part in that. So the writer is saying if you want to endure, you've got to avoid those momentary pleasures that lead to a lifetime of misery or even an eternity in misery. So that's the practice of endurance. How can we, what does it look like to endure the picture of endurance? How do we practice it? Well, these things strive for peace and holiness. Receive and depend upon the grace of God, not being a bitter root, not being a false professor. And don't sell your birthright for a single meal. Avoid sin at all costs. These are important practices to help us endure. But remember the first two points. Why do we do it? Why do we endure? Why, why should we be pure and holy? Why should we be at peace with others? Why should we not miss the grace of God? Well, look at Christ and look at what he's done for us. And that should motivate you. Yes, I will walk in holiness. He has my best interest at heart. Why would I depart from his path? He loves me so much that he would die for me. 
Is it too much for him to ask that I live for him? Well, what, there are some wonderful promises, and that's the, the final point, the promise of endurance. Let's read verses 18 through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire a dark, and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He's referring there in the first part to the covenant made at Sinai when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The people were commanded not to, not to go up on the mountain, not to touch it. Don't even let an animal go up there. And of course there was, there was uh, uh, you know, trumpets and loud noises and the people were frightened. And even Moses himself was frightened. The people were forbidden from drawing near to the mountain. Not that they wanted to because it was, it was scary to them. But under the new covenant mediated by Christ, we have greater privileges. We are not forbidden from coming and, and coming close to God. We are encouraged to come close to God. We are invited to come close to God and to come with courage and boldness to the Lord. Come boldly before the throne of grace. By faith, we are participants in the heavenly Jerusalem. Spiritually, we are already part of that group of people there in, in heaven with the angels and those who have gone before us who have died in the Lord. And we have access to all this. We are part of this because of Jesus, because he shed his blood for us. Verse 24 says, says the his blood, his sprinkled blood, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, when, when Cain murdered Abel, God said, Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And what did it cry? It was crying for vengeance. It was crying out for justice. Well, Christ's blood speaks a better word. It speaks out for forgiveness. Forgive her. Forgive him. Forgive us is what Jesus' blood Christ. That's what we have. See, the people at Mount Sinai were forbidden from touching the mountain. Christians are invited to come close through Christ. So drawing back when we have been invited and the way has been made open for us is terribly sinful. It's foolish when we see all the privileges that we have in Christ. Privileges to come close to the Lord. And that's why there's such a stern warning in verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We do not need to refuse the one who is speaking to us, who is calling to us, who has invited us into relationship with himself. If we do, we will not escape because our God is a consuming fire. There is a day of judgment. And he, and he keeps put, pointing us to those wonderful promises and the lasting nature of them. You know, I... He quotes Haggai where it talks about that once more I'm going, to shake, I'm going to shake the world. I'm going to shake it all up. And the only thing that's going to remain, be, remain, be remaining is the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom that Christ has inaugurated. That will one day come to its fruition when he returns. That's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And if we belong to him, we will inherit that kingdom. We are part of that kingdom even now. We are connected with one another and with those who've gone before us. That's what we're part of. That's what we're running towards. That's why we need to endure. There's something great stored up for us, things that we can't even imagine, things that, that are beyond our wildest imagination. Things that God has freely offered to us, freely given to us through Christ. That should help us in the race. Think about that which is promised to us, that Christ has secured for us. We rejoice in that. That should, as verse 28 tells us, be grateful. Live a life of gratitude for what he's done for us, for giving us this kingdom that cannot be shaking, shaken. And let us worship him. Let us bow before him and, and give him all the glory and praise for what he has graciously given us with reverence and awe. Be in awe of what he's done for us. Revered for what he's done for us. How gracious he is to us. So if we want to endure in the Christian life, fix our eyes on Christ, the one who loved, him, uh, loved us and gave himself for us. Remember what God is doing in you. And he's going to finish that work that he's begun in you. He's treating you like a son. He's disciplining you. He's, 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 he's getting you ready for the kingdom that's coming, to be a, a holy person in that kingdom. In the meantime, strive for purity and peace. Don't miss the grace of God. Don't get derailed by sin off to the side somewhere. And keep in mind that there's something better coming, something in the future Something that's beyond our imaginations that, that will last forever. Anything this earth has to offer is only temporary. We're looking for something even greater. Thanks be to God for his wonderful mercy and grace and, and the love that he has shown us. May we have eyes to see it and a heart to grasp it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help us all to not miss the grace of God that you freely offer to us and help us to endure to the end because it's only he that endures to the end who will be saved. Preserve us. Hold us up. Lord, we, we thank you that you hold us fast. You will not let us go. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.